it was just so interesting because during that time where I just literally had to sit with my pain, it was physical pain. Um, I really got to explore my relationship with it. Like there was the diatribe, like, oh, I should have known better. Oh my God, I've done all this yoga. I've done all this psychotherapy. Like, why am I in pain? And I was like, you know what? You're human. You you had a momentary lapse of consciousness. And can you be okay with it? Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau a student of Bhavani, and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher, and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii, with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Yogi's Roadmap podcast with Bhavani Maki. Great to be here with you. Nice to be here with you. Thanks, Shanae. Yeah. Let's talk about pain today. (laughs) Something I'm intimate with. Yes, right? (laughs) (laughs) I picked a good topic this week. There you go. So I've heard you talk about how pain can be a great teacher and an ally, and it can also cause harm. You know, it when we go too far into pain, it's more injurious than anything. So there's physical pain and psychological pain. And I know that I create pain for myself when I can't manage my emotions and I lose my temper and I project my thoughts and feelings onto other people. And then when I don't have good boundaries and then there's the physical pain when I push to push myself too far and I just go too hard or when I do something that I know better, like we were just talking on the call before uh, we started recording, but like lifting something too heavy and straining or 
um, doing a repetitive motion. And you've also talked about pain with a purpose. So how does one know the difference between real suffering and pain with a purpose? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, I think most pain has a purpose. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's about navigating that. And really, when we, when we, gosh, this is such a, such a deep question. But when we're avoiding the pain that we um, that we don't know how it's being generated, I think that's when it becomes suffering. And of course, a lot of this is semantics because some might some might reverse their understanding of suffering and pain. But <clears throat> you know, suffering. If we look up the the old English usage of the word suffering, it means patience. So it it means to have patience in those moments. And, you know, already in the fourth sutra, Patanjali speaks about the the source of our pain is that we um vritti that when we're enveloped by pain or we're consumed by pain and we over-identify with it. And in, interestingly enough, sometimes identifying with it is that we try to shove it under the rug. And that's where it begins to fester. So when, you know, pain carries a message to us. And on the path of yoga, you know, on the shamanic path, it is really about facing the wounds that we carry and many of them are inherited um you know whether it's from our family of origin and our lineage or i i even remember um you know there was a certain point kind of like in the earlier years of my really committed practice so i would say in my later 20s where i had just um i remember practicing and it was the intense Ashtanga Vinyasa practice and the smells that came out of my body, it smelled like pure uric acid, like when cats spray. Um, but, you know, they're spraying to, to, um, to copulate with others. I don't know. That's an interesting thing there. I'm not even going to touch that one, but it was just like the fear that was being held in my body and being and released. And then there was like a phase where I felt really clear. And then I just became, as Patanjali says, like as sensitive as an eyeball. And I was really weeping for humanity. So it's really interesting. And as much as we want to get away from pain, pain is really important because it's um, it informs us. And it's part of our compassion. But as, um, you know, in the, I think it's the, is it the 47th sutra of the first chapter? Eventually, you know, through this very lengthy and often tedious process of unwinding the stories, going back to um, 
itaratra, the shadow, the projections that were placed onto us. So our sense of value, our sense of worth, um, you know, sometimes an archetype has been projected onto us that we aren't ready to really don. For instance, in my family, I was, I was the black sheep, <laughs> or as my sister put it, the dog that everybody kicked. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it's like, wait, I don't feel that way, but this is the way that I'm being um, personified in the family. So as we unwind the story, we'll start to see where, oh my gosh, you know, this, this expectation was held of me and I could never measure up to that expectation. It's like, we begin to unwind these patterns and we develop compassion for ourselves. And then in that Nirvichara Sutra, Patanjali says, it's like you're standing on a mountain and you're looking at all of humanity and you realize even beyond humanity, but the, the condition, the condition of being in this body and being in this life, you know, um, aside from the rare orgasmic birth, we come, we come through the portal of pain. So we learn how to be compassionate. And sometimes we might actually learn to be more compassionate to others before we're compassionate to ourselves. Who knows what the order is? I suppose that depends on your personality. But learning to sit um, with yourself and realize that, yeah, I'm human. And I have these great desires for healing. And not only do I want to heal myself, but I want to heal my lineage. And, and I want to, I can see the dissonance, the friction in the planet. And I feel deeply into that. So there really, in some ways, you know, is no avoiding pain. But when we sweep it under the rug, when we, what happens is the itaratra, the shadow, this is, this is really interesting. The shadow holds parts of us that are really important to our sense of wholeness. But for whatever reasons, whether it's the ethos of the culture, um, you know, you're being selfish, you're being self-indulgent or you know, for in my case, you grew up with a certain work ethic. When we see somebody else who doesn't have that ethic, and really we long, like for me, like somebody who is just languorous and lazy, I had a kind of a sense of disdain because of the worth ethic that was cultivated in my family. And I would just be like, oh my God, they're so laissez-faire and they should get on it. When really there was a deeper part of me that was like, oh, I wish I could just hang out and when it's all good and when the planets align. So what we do is we, we're, we're quick to notice that in somebody else. And that's the way that the, the shadow reveals is it'll come up in unexpected ways. So when something triggers us on the outside in somebody else, it's an indication that there's a part of us that we've alienated within ourselves. So it's a really interesting dance. Um, and, you know, our, our big challenge with the shadow is to bring light into it. 
And enlightened people have shadows. So it's like, can we shine the light of love in it? And and just notice when we're triggered. And when those moments, instead of going into the whole um, knee-jerk reaction, the reactionary impulse, which just kind of, it keeps us in the spiral to take a moment to pull back. And I think I mentioned it in our in our last session, back in Yoga's Chitta Vritti Nirota, is to watch how we start to go into the discursive thought patterning and instead check in with our state. So that's that's really a hero's journey is how we can sit with our pain without it enveloping us. And then maybe we can discern, you know, how much am I amplifying this through avoiding it, through transference, through obsession, and what can I give myself in that moment? Can I... Because pain is a part of the healing process as well, right? So it's so much about discerning, you know, is this the pain of healing? Is this the pain of avoidance? Is this the, um, you know, and I, I was reflecting on this last night that I think what is really at the root, the root of the unnecessary pain like there's necessary pain, but if you avoid it, it it amplifies it. And then there's layers that are unnecessary is the aspect of inertia. And for some of us, the inertia is, you know, we, we argue the same point to death <laughs> with someone that we can't convince, which might even be ourselves, right? Um, or we don't want to touch it. So it's like, how can we sit with our pain in a place of, well, I'll quote you from a few moments ago, tenderness, compassion, and and patience in those moments. Yeah. So pain is a wonderful teacher in that way. And you know, the amazing thing with, with um, inertia is eventually even the inertia starts to build up, right? Um, and, and the pain becomes unavoidable. And basically, there's some kind of a dismantling or a crumbling that happens. And some people implode and some people explode. But I don't know that there's really any way to avoid it. I mean, that's what happens, the shadow. It's just going to keep pushing things up into, up to the surface of our consciousness. So it's just, these are deep questions and there's no clear answer. It takes a lifetime to um, discover this and to, to understand that pain is part of the whole spectrum. And I remember reading in Baba Haridas's translation, um, the second pada, the 
Sadhana Pada, which we're going to reopen again on November, um, in November, which is really exciting. And this is the, the chapter on, on how you make yourself whole again. <laughs> so how do the practices make you whole again? And he goes through the klesha, which are the frictious energies. And it's like, no matter how much you've lightened up, how many new pathways that you've opened, the klesha are always going to be present. There's always going to be friction in life. And that's why we're here. You know, it's like through relationship and Rama would say our, our rough edges bump up against another person's rough edges. And eventually we kind of smooth out the rough edges of our personality. And we, you know, it's, it's a process of character building. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Um, you know, as I shared, I had just come home from, I, I'd given like three workshops and basically five weeks and it was really rich and fulfilling and um, just such a wonderful communion with other communities. And I come home and I was like, oh, I'm so excited to dig into my practice. And I filled up the five gallon bucket. I was going to mop the floor and the bucket was over full of which I suppose my, my sense of fullness in that moment. And I tweaked my back, you know, it wasn't doing yoga. It was picking up a bug bucket and just being excited to get into practice. And I was really like, I was, I was in physical pain. I also knew that I would get out of it. It went right into my pattern. And it was just so interesting because during that time where I just literally had to sit with my pain, it was physical pain. Um, I really got to explore my relationship with it. Like there was the diatribe, like, oh, I should have known better. Oh my God, I've done all this yoga. I've done all this psychotherapy. Like, why am I in pain? And I was like, you know what? You're human. You, you had a momentary lapse of consciousness and can you be okay with it? You know? And it was just very interesting. So Sitting with the pain, without the guilt, without the blame, without the shame, and realizing that it's part of life and sometimes pain will stop you dead in your tracks so that you can really check in with other parts of yourself. You know, it's like we have all these layers of our being that we need to work through. Certainly. Um, being able to come to that level of penetration and pellucidity with myself was grounded on a lot of psychoanalysis, which is really, it's an imperative in this life. There's, there's no coincidence that, you know, what we know is yoga today, it comes from you know, the, the Patanjali, the Patanjali sutras are the DNA of yoga. And he was a transpersonal psychologist, as well as an Ayurvedic physician and a grammarian. So we start to observe the words that we use, the words that are repetitive, the labels, the names, the categories, you know, we, we can only do so much on our own because the nature of the shadow 
is that you can't see it on your own. So that's where spiritual community comes in and there's the reflective aspect and then certainly psychoanalysis, which helps us to see where we're caught in a circular loop and our thinking. And, you know, we have to have compassion for ourselves as well. It's like we we don't see what we don't see. We don't know what we don't know. And the most beautiful thing about um you know, it took me, it took me a while to really realize it with my therapist at the time. I came in feeling, um, feeling like, how shall I say, like there were incoherencies in my life. And I came in and it's like, I have all this baggage that I want to unpack. And I, you know, was trying to relay it, you know, this buildup that I had been carrying with me and what I was really, which felt really incoherent to me. And he was able to say, you know what, that actually feels really coherent. And he saw my wholeness where all I could see were the contradictions inside of myself. So having somebody who can see your wholeness when you're only feeling your sense of being dissembled and incongruent is so powerful in that way. Then we're not so afraid of the pain. We realize that these are the really important questions that help us to um, live with purpose. Then the pain has a purpose, doesn't it? Because we're asking those deeper questions. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Something, uh, two things that just came up. One is um, you said in one of your trainings, you said um, when we're in pain, usually we don't ask how we got there. We just want to get out. (laughs) And there's that. And the other thing that I was thinking of is um, sometimes people will come to me um, in my yoga classes and there's an assumption that people who practice yoga, especially teachers of yoga, don't have pain. And I'm very quick to um, alleviate that assumption (laughs) for myself. That's why I came to yoga is because I was in a lot of physical pain And actually there's three things that came up. And the third thing is that as you were talking, I was really struck just how intertwined the psychological pain and the physical pain are. I wonder if you have any more to say about any of those or. Yes. Yeah, that's a really that's a really great question and that was something that I was exploring last week when I, you know, I knew I just had to be still. <laughs> I wanted to practice and I knew I had to be still because anything I did was just going to go into the patterning. Um you know, I think most of the time they're just really um blended together, but as we as we develop more awareness and that's the sense of the conscience or the buddhi um the buddhi is like okay well you know i'm rather than going into the right or the wrong 
rather than making it into success or loss. <clears throat> I want to look at the whole, I want to look at the whole picture and I just want to take care of the whole being. So it's almost like a sense of holistic health, but it's still um, grounded in the, as the receptacle of sorrows. So, um, you know, there's this, this, uh, the nomenclature of, from Eckhart, which is the pain body. And it's kind of like the, the pain body is held. It's almost like our sense of identity, you know, where we're informed by, um, all of our experiences, but we're still identifying with those experiences. So this is this is such a fascinating question because when we have unmetabolized trauma in our being and realize that, you know, in trauma, there really is no hierarchy. So we might look at somebody else's trauma and say, how did you endure that war? How were you a refugee? How could you see all this go on? As far as our nervous system and the animal of the body, all trauma is at the same level. And, you know, it comes from Greek, like trauma means to, um, it's a state of fear or when, you know, something, something like surprises you it surprises the nervous system it puts you in a state of fear and then as far as the way that we use trauma it's too much for us to handle in the moment there's a sense of helplessness and oftentimes we are helpless and so of course we go into fight flight or freeze and then it's held in the body the body develops actually a trauma network and all something has to do is brush up against that memory, which is held in the amygdala, and it triggers the the um, reptilian brain, the um, the sympathetic nervous system, and it's like something just triggers us, and we go into that trauma as if it was happening right in the now. Now, oftentimes it's really interesting because you can, they've done a lot of studies on this. For instance, with um, women and also men, I would imagine there's, there's more incidents than, there's plenty of incidents with men as well, where there was some kind of um, sexual abuse in childhood. And what, what they've noticed is even that the body doesn't develop in the same way. Oftentimes they, you know, the hips become very narrow. They almost have like a childlike body or even in the way that they speak, they kind of talk in a baby voice. And so we get stuck because we're stuck in that moment because there was that sense of freeze. So it, it's, it's, um, talk about a hero's path is to be able to unwind that stuff. And there's many different techniques with somatics and EMDR, et cetera, where you learn to touch that stuff, you know, feel where it's held in your body. And, you know, it, it, it can be triggering at first, but then you're like, bring yourself into the present where, where am I now? I'm no longer four years old, or I'm no longer 12 years old. And to recognize your growth, your evolution, and how you can hold that 
part of yourself. So until, you know, and, and trauma work, the really the only way that you can do work with trauma work is through trauma work. So you might be doing a yoga practice, but unless you know how to work with it intelligently, unless you have clarity on that project, um, it's very difficult to unwind. And honestly, you need somebody who has done that work so that they can hold that space for you. So that's that's where we need, um, you know, a guide, whether it's a therapist or, um, you know, a, a, a yoga, a yoga um, teacher or instruction, instructor who's done that work to hold that space for you so that we can start to unwind those patterns and be able to discern between what is unmetabolized experience. You know, sometimes the trauma might even be some kind of like psychological demoralization. Maybe it was a physical abuse, but it gets held in the pain body. And as we begin to unwind that patterning, you know, rather than having it be a festering wound. And listen, there is a timing with trauma. You don't want to unwind it too quickly because it can throw people back into it. So there's a reason it's not, it's not a terrible thing that we compartmentalize it for a while because we just need to heal. We need to go into that healing space, but then eventually we kind of have to lance the wound so that it can heal from the inside out. And then there's the weeping of the wound, right? There'll be a weeping process and an unwinding process. So if we don't touch it, we're going to develop a very guarded kind of a personality. We're going to be easily triggered and it changes our neurochemistry. So there's heightened cortisol levels. Um, there's there's heightened stress in the system and then it becomes held in the body particularly interesting is the nuchal ligament which runs down from the base of the skull it's kind of like um the fin of a fish and the nuchal ligament becomes very tight and we hold ourselves and we we start to calcify and become very hard so yeah, how can we be soft in those moments? How can we be tender in those moments is really the, um, the gift of pain, the gift of pain and touching it. And then, then <laughs> maybe eventually, you know, or depending, maybe it's not even eventually, maybe it's right now, we can sit there and discern, you know, like, well, how much of this in my, how much of this is in my body? Sometimes the trauma is a blow to the body. And then we wrap all the stories around it because we haven't sorted through the stories. And sometimes the pain is, is more emotional or psychological because there's a part of us that isn't being met. And we do have a real need where we're pack animals. So we need that in relationship. And sometimes we need to voice that. And certainly we need to get honest with ourselves. Sometimes what we need is right here, but 
it's not coming in a way that is intelligible to us or 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 something digestible to us and it's our own guards that we need to let down so yeah there's a lot to tease apart there and certainly psychological pain will manifest in our bodies i mean you can really see how the psychological hangups you know when we're depressed how we sit and isn't it interesting the um i'm just kind of having a light bulb moment here even the the posture that we've adopted with our devices you know maybe we're like on social media it's a it's a posture of depression rama shares a story um she was in san francisco and was hosting mr iyengar in the early days and i guess there was they met this woman somewhere <coughs> and this woman was really standing very slumped forward and and Mr. Iyengar said, well, how would it be if you stood like this? And he kind of aligned her in Tadasana and her whole energy shifted like the light, the, she was back online. And he said, I'm not sure which comes first, compression or depression. So back to that sense of inertia, wherever there's a holding pattern, our organism wants movement. Rhythm, rhythm is the rhythm and the ripening. And when we look at plants, you know, it's like they they weather the storms. This is what gives a, what what increases their resilience. So I think that is really the the. Um, the anti-venom of pain is to re remember our resilience. And when we do that, then we get out of the inertia. We might get very comfortable. I mean, that's the nature of inertia is there's a sense of comfort, but then the system, life doesn't support that. And that's when there's going to be there's going to be outside blows regardless. I love what I think it's what Venkateshananda says. He's like, don't avoid your pain, but you don't have to chase it either, <laughs> because pain's going to come and find you. So, to just pay attention when it comes up in your life and be like, okay, there's something I need to reevaluate with. And look at with love. And can I can I look at it with love instead? Can I look at it from a place of my own wholeness and realize that this is me just getting more um, more intimate, developing my capacity for intimacy. And that is what makes me more available. Not necessarily to be love, but to experience and to express love. Yes. <laughs> you said something earlier about um, enlightened people having a shadow. And I want to see if you have more to say on that because it goes along with this, the theme of, you know, what would you say to someone who has the assumption that if I just practice enough yoga, I won't, or whatever, I won't have any pain. 
Um, <clears throat> it's really about our relationship with pain. You know, in the in the 16th Sutra, second chapter, Patanjali says, Hey, I'm Dukkha Manakatham. You know, why do we come to yoga? To break off contact with the unnecessary pain that is yet to come. So obviously, you know, and, and I think it's even in the Mahabharata where it says, you know, no matter how enlightened you are, nobody can evade the very human reality of disease, separation, loss, and death. And as the Buddha said, learn to weep with one eye. Um, you know, part of the preciousness of life is its fleeting nature. And it's really interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, my, my community, as it's expanding out, and it, it's very interesting, you know, to kind of come in with the, the younger generation who is very technologically minded. And there's this fascination with AI, artificial intelligence, and the high maka makas, like the, the real brainiacs, they are um, very intent on being able to somehow take their consciousness and put it into like a binary form or something into an artificial intelligence. And it's like this sense of wanting to prolong their egoic identity. That sounds incredibly painful to me. Um, it's very, very interesting. <clears throat> so, you know, Form, as we know it, the nature of form is that it's going to be changing. And, you know, even this fixation with holding on to your youth. I remember my 40th birthday being in Downward Dog and I was lifting my kneecaps and the skin was not lifting. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was like literally on my 40th birthday. So, you know, things, it, it, it's just a natural part of the cycle um, that we're going to be going through that. And so we can't avoid that. And, you know, there's, there's, so in that sutra, he's saying like, it's the pain that's yet to come. That's unavoidable. As far as the pain that's already happened, it's in the past. All we can do is, um, you know, work through the trauma network so that we're not moving from that pain body, which Amazingly, the deeper layers underneath the subconscious, the, the, the project is for our wholeness and our healing. And that's embracing the whole cycle of, you know, our, our younger years, our middle age, our older years, and then hopefully just returning back to source with a sense of joyfulness. This is why we practice, like when you look at it, you know, we'll often start in Balasana as a baby, and then we end in Shavasana. Like, how can we make peace with the very real reality of death? So, you know, how can I, instead of being triggered in that cycle of, of trying to hang on to a certain moment, the transigence of the moment and the past. 
So we can only work through the past pain. And interestingly enough, trauma is always healed in the now. It's about bringing ourselves into the current moment. And then maybe in the now we feel like we're in pain. And as soon as, you know, we're we're identifying like it's happening in the body and then the brain attaches nomenclature, oh, this is pain, I want to get away, that moment becomes the past. But if we can sit in the moment and just feel kind of like the breath, feel the pauses between the breath, we'll notice that there's actually little intervals, there's little in there's little pauses in between. And we can find it, we we can learn to sit with the discomfort with a sense of patience and know that this too shall pass. But the lessons that we get from it, we're going to be able to keep it for a lifetime. So it's about learning to live with pain without it eroding our life. Um, yeah, so for someone who thinks, you know, that's that's a, like a real spiritual bypass. It's like, you know, oh, I'm going to be completely out of touch with pain. That's somebody who's inert, somebody who's desensitized. And yoga is this shamanic experience. I mean, there's there's academic writings on this, Mercia Eliad, and it's about it's about really um, being in touch with your pain and being in that process of healing it. Some of it's unavoidable. Some of it is avoidable. And how do we know the difference unless we're willing to sit with it? Unless we're willing to hold it. And can we hold it in love? And I tell you, I mean, you know, just sitting with somebody else who's in pain is such a powerful teaching. You know, our little puppy broke her leg this last week. And, you know, we weren't able to diagnose it because it happened on a Friday evening and there's no emergency clinics on Kauai. But we could see she was in pain and she, you know, just. So here's an animal who doesn't have this complex conversation with you and who knows how she's even met metabolizing it but she just wanted to be held and just holding her and putting her on my body and stroking her her whole nervous system started to soften and that's where the healing began You know, how many people can sit with us when we're in pain without trying to fix it, without trying to tell us what we did wrong, but who can just hold us in that tender space? And maybe that's the function of pain. Thank I'm learning so something. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. 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 And this is so true. I mean, I was talking to a colleague about relationship because, um, you know, relationship is that way. And even though 
there, you know, there, there's, there's frictious energies in a relationship and we, you know, we, we love that person, but we're not always liking that person. And we're not, not always in love with that person. She, you know, she said, well, what I've had to look at in my relationship is, am I still learning? Am I still learning? And that's really the, you know, we, we have all of these fantastic ideas of what love is. You know, we've got the 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 fairy tales that oh the shoe's gonna fit and my prince is gonna come and wake me up from this long sleep etc um you know but statistically they say being in love lasts at most a year you know this is like this highly excited pheromonal kind of a state and honestly a year is probably enough time to get knocked up and get the new genetics for your lineage, right? That might be enough <laughs> in the animal kingdom, you know, and then we have these marriages and how are we going to work it out? And, and sometimes they're not meant to work out. Sometimes we actually grow out of the marriage. I remember Rama saying that to me, she'd been married three times. Um, and, but her relationships were all like 15, 20 years. They weren't fly by night. And she said to me, Oh, Bhavani, like, marriages aren't necessarily meant to last forever and i was like oh my god this is shocking you know <laughs> isn't this isn't this indicative of like a high holy state but sometimes we'll even hang on in those moments um so yeah you know what 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 love is is really um that willingness to learn and to grow and to be able to look through another person's eyes. Otherwise, you know, we're just full-blown narcissists walking around. And we probably would be completely narcissistic and hedonistic unless we had the pain. The pain is what keeps us keeps us more down to earth. Um, you know, and there's there's so many ways to numb out from the pain, which honestly just builds more pain in the end. Yeah. So pain is for our learning, pain is for our growing. It'll take us where we probably wouldn't go on our own and it can become our teacher and our friend. So we don't have to chase it, but to, there's that great uh, Rumi poem, the guest house. Every day, a new guest enters. Can we invite them all in? Can we entertain them? And it will come and it will go. Yeah. The human experience is a very rare, rare blessing. And it's so profound, you know, in the in the yogic um, philosophy or mythology or however you want to say it, it's said that it's only in human form that we can ever find that liberation. And perhaps that's because we have the human experience of pain. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So I would say the takeaway is, um, you know, pain is a call for love and that's a call for growing, getting out of inertia.
Great. This is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Save the other questions for another day. (laughs) All right. Well, that just flew by. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. For more information about Bhavani Maki and her online and in-person teachings, including the Yoga Sutra Wisdom School, online Patanjali Yoga Sutra Mentorship, and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening. Jalaruha mitra jashatru netram kalushatru